From time to time, I like to invite somebody on the show that's going to share with us their entrepreneur journey. If we hear from others who have been down the path before us, maybe it's a help and maybe there are lessons learned that can inform our thinking about what we might want to do next. In this episode, we're going to dive in, take a look at one person's journey. You're listening to Leadership Powered by Common Sense with your host, Doug Thorpe. Here's Doug. Hello again, everyone. You're listening to Leadership Powered by Common Sense. I'm your host, Doug Thorpe. And today we are going to explore one entrepreneur's journey and uh, learn some things from his uh, experience we're going to just talk uh, about life lessons and uh, the journey to become a successful entrepreneur. Uh, his name is Paul Halmy, and uh, he is a fellow Texan, or at least residing that way. Uh, uh, I'm down in the Houston area. He's up in the Fort Worth area. So um, you can't throw a rock and hit each other, but uh, <laughs> you, we're at least in the same state boundaries. Paul, welcome to the show, man. Thanks. I'm excited to be here, Doug. Thank you. Yeah, you bet. Um, so as often as I, my case here, I guess we would call it a tradition. I like to ask my guests to give us a little bit of a backstory on kind of where you came from and how you got to where you are. And if, if that's the ultimate message we're going to talk about, we'll get into more details later, but give us that rundown real quick. Oh yeah. Uh, and not a native Texan got here 25 years ago. So I grew up in South Dakota, <clears throat> excuse me. And a small town up in the north. And then when I graduated college, my best friend was coming out of Texas. He's like, hey, I'm going to, you heard of the UFC? I'm going to go fight in the UFC someday. I'm like, that's a crazy, interesting adventure. And then I ended up following along, ended up coming down here. And Texas has been amazing. I said, I've been here for 25 years. Uh, I was got into jiu-jitsu and MMA with my best friend. And I met some guys through training that were stockbrokers. And this is back in 2001 when the market was on fire and they were hiring everybody. I'm like, oh, that'd be a really cool job. And they're like, well, you have a degree? I'm like, yeah. And they're like, well, we're hiring basically anybody that's got a degree that can talk to people. I'm like, cool. So I ended up doing that. It was an amazing six-year journey. Like I thought it was the best job I ever had. Uh, I really enjoyed it because I came from a, a family that didn't talk about money. Probably like a lot of people, you know, only thing they talked about money was when they complained about not having enough bit or how people that had money were evil and that money doesn't grow on trees and all the things you hear growing up. And then got a job as a stockbroker. And I was like, oh my God, there's really money in this world. Like, this is crazy. I talked to people every day and I'm like, in the beginning, I'm like, man, these are people are like the smartest people ever. And then I got to know people and I'm like, man, there's regular people that put money in an account every month and just left it alone. So I learned some really good stuff with that. You know, fell in love with being a broker, uh, ended up getting married, having two kids, basically had everything. And then got the urge to become an entrepreneur by helping my friend with his gym because he actually made it to the UFC, fought in the UFC, won the Ultimate Fighter 4, Travis Luter. And went through that whole process and he needed help with his gym. I'm like, man, I'm, I'm pretty good at this. I kind of like doing this entrepreneur thing. It's pretty cool. And he was traveling a bunch. And then when he won the Ultimate Fighter, Ultimate Fighter 4, I had to make a big decision. I was like, man, if he wins this title fight, it's going to change his life. It'll change my life. I'm not going to be able to keep doing both things that we're doing. So I, I made the decision, you know what? Hey, if I leave my job on good terms, my license is good for two years. I could always come back. So let's go take another gamble. And then 
that led into entrepreneurship and opening a gym and then getting good at doing that. And then people asking for help running their gym and then help them run their gym. They started making more money. Then they're like, well, what do I do with all this money? I'm like, Hey, that's my favorite thing to talk about. Let's talk about finance and investing. So it's been an awesome journey. I tell people it's like, it's been crazy. I just hope it keeps going. You know, I'm only 20 years into it of the, the funnest part. So, yeah. So, so how would you describe your actual business endeavors right now? What, what are you doing? Are you a business coach? Is that what you're doing? Basically? A little bit of both. I still have a, I still have a brick and mortar business. Like, you know, I joke around. It's like my baby. It's 19 years now that I've had it. Um, so I have an MMA gym where I teach regular people, you know, self-defense, get in shape, just alternatives to regular gym, but helping people with that. And then my big, uh, my main business is consulting for other gym owners and other small businesses. And of course, during 2020, that was a really bad business to be in because I was consulting for non-essential businesses. And I was like, wow, I really picked a good niche there. So, but that's, that's the main driver right now is we're rebuilding that. And, you know, and we were talking a little bit before it's like with leadership and everything, we're rebuilding our, it was I tell people it was a blessing in disguise. Yeah, it sucked for two years and it took a big hit, but we're building this company coming out of it that it's going to be unreal in another year. Like I can see it. I was talking to my business partners today about it. It's like in the in the past, we would always just chase things. Like let's just chase this and make lots of money because up until 2019, you could make money easy with a gym. And then after this, we're like, let's build a real team and let's really refine our product and do a better job. And now it's like, we've got this team built now where it's like, wow, this is going to be crazy in the next, you know, next, uh, you know, the next one to five years. Now in that niche with gym owners, uh, are you, uh, do you care what kind of program they're trying to advocate? I mean, you know, there's, there's uh crossfits and there's, I, I don't know, yoga and all kinds of things, <laughs> you know, that, that are out there under the, the broad category of, of gym membership kind of deals. Yeah. The cool thing with our system, we can plug and play into basically kind of any industry. The problem is everybody has their own lingo and their own feel. So we'll bring in people sometimes from outside the martial arts and MMA world. And they just, they don't jive because they don't, they got their lingo. We have ours. So there's literally, I have friends that do the exact same thing I do for health clubs and another friend that does it for CrossFit gyms because it's their world. But my world is like MMA gyms, jujitsu gyms, kickboxing gyms. That's like our okay. specialty. That's our niche. That's where we you know, we could take anybody's gym and make it way more successful. And, and that, of course, is a whole different brand of training you're going to be doing there than than trying to do the CrossFit <laughs> oh, yeah. thing. And oh, yeah. um, I went on an adventure at the ripe old age of uh, 66. I tried to join a CrossFit gym. That wasn't a great idea. Ooh, that's tough. <laughs> that's tough. CrossFit's, you know, CrossFit gets, you know, people love it or they hate it. You know, it's just it's like anything. It's so hard. And I thought that's one of the things I have to do. I fight a lot with people who want to join my gym because I take, I target an older clientele. I'm 47. So I want, I want guys in their mid to late thirties and forties that have, you know, good jobs and money. It's like, I've gone down the route of training MMA fighters that are broke 20 year olds that are just impossible to deal with. But when the guys come in, I got to explain to them, I'm like, you're going to like this a lot. You're going to want to come every day and you're going to get hurt. Your wife's going to get mad at you. It's like, you can't, change your whole lifestyle in one week. So I, I'm a big advocate of when you start, come twice a week, you know, see how you feel, you know, don't overdo it because the human body, it's an amazing machine, but if you redline it too fast, and that's one thing that happens a lot I hear from CrossFit guys is, man, we were going so hard and everything was yeah. great. And then my, then I got hurt. You know, yeah. It's the most common story yeah. I hear all the time. Yeah. Uh, and that was basically my story. Of course, I, I accelerated. I, I had uh, actually had to go through a broken foot repair and, I uh, entered the gym world probably too soon. The foot probably wasn't really where it needed to be. And 
I started pounding it and hitting it. <laughs> and next thing I know, it was, you know, not fully broken again, but pretty much broken again. And, you know, I was done. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's tough. So, the body is a, a crazy machine, but yeah, you got it. When it's broken, it's like, oh boy, <laughs> it's hard to not do stuff. So, so let me ask you, when you uh, get asked to come in and help an owner with uh, kind of turning things around or diving in or going to the next level, whatever, however they might describe it to you, what are, what are some of the sort of first steps you, you get into with them? And the first thing is getting into their numbers. Cause that, that slaps them in the face kind of right away because it gives them that dose of reality because a lot, a lot of people in business, they don't want to talk about all the numbers. They don't track the numbers, you know, and if, and if they're not tracking the numbers, because the biggest thing we'll get is people like, well, you know, I'm thinking about hiring you, but I pretty much sign everybody up that comes into my gym and, you know, no one ever quits. And I'm like, really? Let's look at your numbers. And it's like, well, yeah, if you're signing up five or six people a month, it's because they're coming into your gym trying to sign up. You didn't market them to come in. They looked for you. They found you, you know, and then they don't have good systems for tracking the retention. Like, well, no one ever quits. And I'm like, well, if no one ever quit. You'd have a thousand members and you have 112 members. And they're like, well, you know, these people, they, they, they can't, they turned off their credit cards. I'm like, it's pretty much like quitting, you know, but they keep them in a separate you know, delinquent file. And I'm like, dude, they're not coming back, you know, unless yeah. you work those leads. So that's the biggest thing is getting people to realize that they have to track their numbers. And I go back to my stockbroker careers, like, you know, treat your business like a, like a publicly traded company, like know your numbers, you know, what, what do you, you know, what are your, your sales? What are your expenses? You know, are you profitable? Just the basic things like that, tracking your four key numbers that we do for everybody is leads appointment set, appointment show, and signups. If I can get them to track those four numbers, then we can be like, hey, you know, we can diagnose it from a distance and be like, this is where you're missing out at. You need to train your appointment setting team or you need to train your sales people. You know, there's a gap here. So when I get them to have real numbers, then it's something that we can actually manipulate and accelerate. Now in the, in, in the kind of gyms you like to work with, are there, um, uh, I don't know, program upsell kind of deals there or is it pretty much straight up there's a membership and it's you know it's monthly and yeah just like any yeah I, we do the same type of thing so we'll have like basic membership like hey this is the basic monthly one come in see if you like it and then if they like it they're like oh hey you're doing really good you know here's this other option you can upgrade to this program of course because everybody knows when you're trying to increase the business it's either you can get more customers or get the customers you have to buy more often so We'll do that, but instead of raising the price on them, we'll have a different program they can upgrade to. Where, hey, you'll get this, this, and this, and you pay a little bit extra, but you get all these benefits. And that way we can keep making the businesses more profitable. And then at the same time, they're turning on a better product for their customers too, because people as they evolve need more things. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, I'm with you on the idea of knowing the numbers. Inevitably, a guy that gets a great idea for a small business will dive in and they'll be really good at at doing that work, whatever it may be. If it's coaching, teaching, um, manufacturing, creating, whatever. But um, they, it, it's kind of the old joke, you know. Well, uh, I still have checks. I must have money, and you know that's <laughs> that's not the way it works. <laughs> it's, it's terrifying. A lot of them are, you know. The thing was, we were we were spoiled going into you know, the pandemic, like, you know, people like, Oh, you know, if I'm a little behind, I'll just catch up and do this, this. But then when like things started getting shut down and cash flow was getting limited, people are like, wow, I really had no idea how weak my business was. And it wasn't ready for this. I mean, nobody was ready for that. But I mean, even like, you know, I had people that are freaking out over the first two week closure. I'm like, bro, if you're freaking out over this, I mean, you're not in a good spot. It's yeah. like, you should be able to withstand a two week shutdown. And of course, depending where you live, you know, thank God we're in Texas. We weren't that long, but some of the people are listening. If they're in other States, 
I had clients that were shut down for over a year. I'm like, oh, yeah. it was insane. Oh, it was crazy. It was like, how, and then the government, of course, is like, hey, fill this thing out and you get $12,000. It's like, cool. Uh, I just spent $50,000 on rent for a gym I couldn't even open. Did um, did any of your clients do any kind of major, uh, you know, the word that got real popular is pivot during COVID. Did oh, they? God, we tried so many things. Did they? Was, yeah. Tell us some of those stories. Oh, it was comical. So we tried, we're like, you know, like, hey, we're going to pivot, you know, we're going to go online and we're going to do Zoom and tried that one Zoom session. And I was like, okay, I'm going to literally jump off my roof. And people are like, this sucks. It's because jujitsu and MMA is very hands-on. It's not like like a theory thing, like a fitness one, we'd be like, Hey, we can work out. So people were not feeling it. I had some clients that teach, you know, some different, uh, kids classes and they could kind of keep the people. So we pivoted with our clients. We were like, Hey, you have to do something because you can't make any money, but if you can save people from quitting, it's like that old saying, it's way cheaper to keep a customer, especially during the pandemic. It was, cause it was like every customer you could keep kept everything afloat. So we would do what I would do at my gym and I had other my clients do is like, we'd make, make like a social hour. Like we'd get on zoom and watch like a jujitsu match or something, you know, like talk about this or that. And then uh, during the week I'd send out workouts, like, Hey, we're doing the 50 pushups a day challenge. And the next week it was a hundred squats a day, just like random things, but interacting with people. Cause we were lucky. We kept a good amount of our students just because we, we kept them in the loop of like, Hey, we're not going anywhere. We're not closing our doors. They won't let us into our doors. So we're going to do this. And then when things started getting better, then they're like, well, you can't go indoors. You can work out outdoors. We'd go meet at a park and like have a meetup. We'd all go work out together, you know, do like conditioning and just had to pivot like, Hey, we're doing this. So when we, cause the big thing we'd help clients was you guys had to, to give your customer hope that we're going to get back to the gym. We're going to get back to training because nobody knew it was going to happen. So we're like, Hey, we're going to do this conditioning. So when we go back to the gym, we all don't get hurt and, you know, gas out and throw up, you know? So, but yeah, it was a huge pivot, but it ended up being a way different different pivot than I ever thought. It was more about building community even more. I like that because uh, I, I hadn't thought about that angle of that business, but keeping those people engaged and, 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 and like you use the word, give them hope that it is going to be okay. I know some of the companies I'm aware of where I am, um, a couple of my favorite stories real quick. There was a Chinese food place, privately owned family deal. And uh, of course they got shut down. You know, you can't go to a restaurant and yeah. they figured out that uh, down here in the Gulf coast, you know, uh, uh, boiled crawfish is a popular thing. So they started using their kitchen to boil these big old tubs of crawfish <laughs> and they would sell them by the bag and, and, you know, people would pick them up, take out and take them home and uh, whatever, recipe they had landed on was a huge success next thing they knew uh they they decided shoot we're making three times the money selling crawfish than we ever did with the chinese food so they <laughs> shut the restaurant and uh just bought a or, or leased a much smaller kitchen space that did not need to meet the public standard you know and uh so they cut their expenses like in half and they were making three times the revenue so their margin just went through the roof you know <laughs> and they're happy i mean it's yeah, like they're happy yeah that was the thing you had to you had to make so many adjustments you know and then like me being a small business owner when stuff like that was going on you know i made it a, a my wife and i would joke around the only thing we could do is we'd go for like a five mile walk every day and then we'd pick where we we're gonna go order food from and it was like you know, and then trying to support other businesses and posting about it on social media, like, hey, you know, so-and-so's got this thing or this thing. And, you know, it was a crazy time. I mean, was, oh, yeah. I never want to go through it again. That's for sure. It's yeah. Like... Yeah. I can remember a little, uh, little restaurant near me that 
tried to get through. And when, you know, when people would at least go out to do pickup, they had a whole thing set up. They had lined up all their tables near the front door to make kind of a alleyway and with a, with a red uh, counter at the end and you could phone in orders, you know, and then go by there and pick it up. And, and, uh, that became the gathering place. Everybody was standing in line, you <laughs> yeah. know, it's like all the regulars at this place were meeting each other just in line, picking up their food. Especially in that reminded us how much we need human interaction. You know, it's like, everyone's was like, Oh, people are never going back to the office. Like they're going to go back because we're not designed to like live in the metaverse. And, you know, and it was like, uh, yeah, if that was a, t- a taste test of the metaverse, I'm not excited about it. Yeah, really. And you know, it's interesting you bring that up. I, I was just on an executive coaching call this morning with a client over in Atlanta and, and he was lamenting the trouble with trying to get people back to the office. Um, I'm not yet convinced how that's going to look, even when we're, you know, have almost forgotten about COVID, not that we ever will, but um, I think people are, so many people are opting to enjoy staying at home for their work that the people that do choose to go in the office are finding themselves having to go to the, you sit in your office or your cubicle or whatever, and you're on zoom calls. And it's like, why am I here? You know, yeah, I mean, what's, what is going on here? Cause nobody else is. So I, I don't know how long it's going to take for that to get back to normal, but I guess that's a discussion for another day. But yeah. uh, tell us a little bit more, some ideas about as you work with these clients, what are some of the other areas you dig into with them? We've been doing a lot. It's, it's funny how our company evolves as we, you know, in the beginning, we were all about everybody's like lead gen, I need more leads, you know, so we try to master Facebook ads and Google ads and everything. Then you realize, man, you don't have a lead problem. You got, you don't know how to set appointments. And when somebody comes in your gym, you're not nice to them. It's like you're wasting all this money on Facebook and Google ads. You need to actually fix your business. So we went through. Uh, as we rebuild the company out of COVID is we basically teach these guys, we call it building your business machine. Like, Hey, this is how from A to Z, you know, this is how you build a business. We call it like a, almost like a business in a box. Like this is how you run your gym. You need to have all these things in places. We give them all the metrics, everything, how to, to track all those things. And then really focus on once they get to that point of how do they bring in more team members to run a more efficient gym? Because like when I'm, well, if I'm running my gym a hundred percent, I was, I wasn't doing consulting. I was running my gym by myself. I can, you know, have the gym just packed all day long and doing crazy good. But then at the end of the day, I'm like, oh my God, I'm, I'm working 65 hours a week. Physically, I'm physically exhausted. So I can't do this anymore. And then you fall in love with the gym. So we teach these guys, like it's the hardest thing letting go. And people are listening to this can probably relate is nobody is going to do as good a job as I am at my gym because I'm the only one that owns it. You know, they don't own it. You can't expect employees to do 100%. And then I can't remember who said it. It was a crazy good example. It was like, you have to learn to accept 70% of your 100%. But then what you do to fix it is you hire two 70% people to offset your 100%. And now you're getting you're getting more work done, more people signed up, and you're not doing it. People you hire. So I'm like learning more about teaching people about leverage and learning how to leverage, you know, key employees can be such a valuable thing. But the problem with like gym owners and a lot of small business owners is like, well, well, I could do, I could close 80% of the people that come in or 85%. And then the average person's doing 70. You're like, well, yeah, but you're a little more invested than they are. They don't look past that. They think everybody should be able to do what they do and love the gym as much as they do, but they're just there because, Hey, I'm getting paid to do this, or I'm getting free training for this. And, you know, that's a big thing we try to educate people on is if you want to get to a higher level where you actually have more money, you can do more things. You've got to hire good people. Yeah. Yeah, definitely a big part of the equation. Well, I'll tell you what, Paul, we're up on a break point here. Uh, When we um, come back from this message, we're going to dive in a little more of the 
elements and hear a little bit more about your journey uh, to be uh, the entrepreneur that you are today. So stay tuned, everybody. We'll be right back. Business is all about solving complex problems as fast as you can create them. Become the best problem solver by leading others to greatness, too. And the first step is going to DougThorpe.com. Doug Thorpe is known globally for coaching entrepreneurs and business leaders, improving their performance and the work output of everyone surrounding them. You can find health, wealth, and happiness by learning to lead others to health, wealth, and happiness. Go to DougThorpe.com now and order Doug's books or hire him to coach your managers. That's Doug, T-H-O-R-P-E.com. All right, everyone, we're back. Uh, you're listening to Leadership Powered by Common Sense. And today I'm talking to Paul Halmy. Uh, Paul is a um, business coach and has his own business. He works uh, primarily in the niche of um, special gyms, the MMA, jiu-jitsu, and, and those kind of uh, special martial art type uh, training centers. Um, we were talking about as, as a coach going in there to help the business owner, there are things we, we dive into. We were talking about the people side of things. What else, Paul, do you run into with the, in the people realm when you're talking to these owners? Yeah, a lot of times like a little bit, is they're always hung up on the person. Like we talked a little bit before, but they're not doing as well as they do. And they're not going to, it's like, you can only get so much out of a person because they want, if they wanted to run your gym, like you are, your gym, they're going to go open their own. So it's like, that's a big problem for people is, is getting them to understand, like you have to know the numbers, you have to get the people and then you have to train them to do the thing. And then the hardest part that we see is let, is letting the person go. Like I'll see people like, well, yeah, so-and-so was, he was doing good. And then, you know, I watch, I sit in on all of his sales presentations. And I'm like, well, that's awkward for him and for the customer. It's like, they don't want to sit through you over this guy's shoulder. Like, oh no, no, you know, and interrupting the person. And because they get very driven on like, this is how I do it. And it's like, well, no, you should have a system that anybody can do. It shouldn't just be like, you're this. Yes, I can do things different than my staff because I own the gym and I can make calls on that where they can't. But I can't be over their shoulder all the time. I have to give them space and try to teach people that. Like, just to, you know, calm down, look at the numbers, out at the numbers, train them, but leave them alone. Give them some room to learn. You know, that's a big frustration that we deal with a lot with clients. Right, right. No, I think that. The thing is, uh, you know, what you were saying there, it is about expectations and you, if, if you're the owner and your expectation is they're going to do it exactly like you do, you're probably going to be disappointed on a regular basis. Um, and, and I would think, especially in the realm of, uh, you, you know, the work in, in a gym and I love the idea if they're doing it so well, then they'll probably go up in their own place. Oh yeah. Right? <laughs> I see it all the time. Yeah. It happens all the time. Um, in the in the idea of uh, I was saying while we were in the green room during the break I, I was saying I I use a similar model when I work with owners it's a four part it's uh, four P words uh, people process products and performance we had talked about performance being the knowing the numbers getting into your P and L and all your um, cash flow and all those kinds of things. We touched on a little bit about the people, and you also started down the path, Paul, talking about process. So having a scalable, repeatable, reliable process. Uh, what do you do for owners that when you get to that part of the the business? Yeah, that makes a huge difference. So we go through, we teach them in our build your business machine part of our company is like you have to have these processes. You have to give people something because otherwise they're going to go do their own thing. And like, well, I'm trying it this way. It's like, no, 
this is how we do this. This is how you, we give them a walkthrough and we do training through, you know, online training. So they have like videos they can watch and handouts and give to their staff and like, you know, this is how you, I mean, we, we break it down to the most basic things. Like if this is how you deal with a lead, this is how you call, you call, then you text, then you follow up, then you email, you give them like different processes to follow. Same thing when somebody comes in, it's like, cause that's a big part is how someone's treated when they come into a business. Cause you know, we come in, if you've never been there, you're kind of, everybody's gone to a restaurant or a store, you walk in and nobody greets you. You're like, uh, I don't know if I want to go in this place. So we, you know, we give them processes for the, even the most basic things like that. It's like someone has to be greeted in the first, you know, five seconds, the minute they hit that door. It's like, be nice. Cause people are, you know, coming into an MMA gym. They're scared. They're like, Oh, is that going to beat me up? You know, is everybody going to be a jerk? And then they walk in and you're like super nice. And they're like, Whoa, what's going on? Everybody here is like super nice and cool. You know? So giving them processes that changes the game completely. Cause all these people we deal with, they don't have any processes. I remember when I was younger back in the day, I worked for a company that uh, franchised a bunch of GNCs. And I, I tell clients like, listen, I had a booklet this thick and every day I have to open it up and I have to go through the opening procedures and check it off. And then the, the daytime procedures, you know, check it off all these things. I said, if you can create to that level at your gym. So like our clients will give them like opening and closing checklists. I mean, the most basic things, because to us it's basic, but to employees, they're like, yeah, yeah, the gym looks good. It's like, well, did you take out all the trash? Well, no, I did yesterday. Well, no, you take it out every day. You know, did you do this? Oh, no, well, it's on the checklist. So the checklist makes it so much easier because they're going to do the bare minimum. You know, that's just how humans are. If that's not, if something they don't own or whatever, they're going to do as little as possible to make as yeah. much money as they can. I've got a, a, a client that I've worked with for a number of years. He's been in one of my masterminds and he went out about a year ago and bought a Mako paint franchise. Oh, okay. Nice. Uh, it, it was pre-existing. I mean, it was up and running, but the prior owner wanted to get rid of it. He was tired. And and my friend said when he got into it, he realized that, you know, that, that place needed a whole lot of TLC. And he said, and this was part just his personality, not not specifically what the Mako people told him, but what he chose to do, he immediately got the crew to go clean the place up. I mean, mop the floors, clean off the dust off all the shelves, you know, uh, even back in the work base, which the public didn't really see. He wanted it clean because yep. he said, you know, you keep this place clean. That's going to be an indication that we're going to do a nice, sharp job on your vehicle when it comes in here. Because if we can't keep our own place clean, <laughs> how are we going to deal with your car? You know? Yeah. I love that. That's great. And uh, he said it sounded crazy. And the, and the guys that had been working there thought it was crazy, but they, they complied and got busy. And then they started seeing customers coming in, actually talking about it very specifically saying, <laughs> oh, this place is neat and orderly, looks organized. It looks efficient. So, and there was a direct connection there between what they hope they're going to get out of their car when it comes out of the shop, you know, and uh, it stuff like that means a lot. And I think people overlook that. Oh, hundred percent. You got to take care of all the little things. I mean, those all add up. And as a customer, you want, I don't want to go to a dirty place. And it's like, especially I don't want my place to be dirty. So if like my gym, it's one of the things I do too, is I try to keep it super, super clean. So people are like, man, this place is clean and smells good. Do you guys actually work out here? It's like, oh yeah, yeah. We just clean it three times a day, you know, but it's part of the culture. Right. Right. No, that's, and, and that's very offensive. You know, if you've ever been a gym person and you go into a place that's <sighs> Yeah. Smells like, uh, you know, dirty sneakers. I mean, that's, that's, it's just nasty. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that, that, uh, what, um, 
what do you see on the horizon for businesses and things as we kind of emerge from this fog that we've called COVID? Man, I, I think we're in, a, we're in a weird spot right now because we now now we go from COVID to the big R word, the recession word. Are we in one? Are we not in one? And somebody's like, well, what are we going to do? And I was like, well, I went through the one in 2008 and I'll take that over the pandemic any day of the week because I can still sell. And, you know, we're going to see some things that, and I guess it's part of the economic cycle, the thinning of the herd and stuff like that. Some some businesses will go away because they're just not taking care of the things they need to take care of. And then the ones that excel are going to. So like we tell our clients, like, yeah, if things get bad, then you have to do more. You have to market more. You have to sell better. You have to retain better. It's like you have to become a better version of who you've been. So I think I think the future's super bright. You know, I, I'm an optimist, especially after going through the last two years of all this, you know, just such a negative, just oh my God, just, I want, you know, it's like, I want to travel and I want things to go back to normal and everything. But I think once we get through this and things kind of balance out, there's going to be a lot of good opportunity out there for, you know, people that are willing to put in the work. I I agree with you. And I'm, I'm generally bent that same way. I'm, I'm very much more the optimist than I ever am the pessimist. And uh, I was uh, talking to a couple of my other coaching colleagues this week, and we were talking about, we were just sharing our own notes. You know, what do you think we ought to be telling clients? And I'm, I'm with you. I, I think the companies that are out there, if they if, if they have some strength and some resilience in terms of the, just the financial health of the business, now's the time to double down. It's not the time to cut in half. It, um, if, if, you, um, if you have a, some kind of marketing budget and advertising budget you're doing, double it. Uh, I mean, because the, the ones around you that are uh, kind of thin and maybe failing already – they're going to cut back. That's the first they're thing they're going to cut. They're going <laughs> yeah, to stop and they're going to fall away and fall back. And if you double up, uh, you're going to dominate your market. You're, you're going to be able to grab market share you never had. It's going to be amazing. And I was talking to some clients the other day too, but people like, well, you know, if I turn off my ads, you know, for a little bit, I'm like, you don't realize that the average in our industry, like it's, you know, it's, was it six to 10 touch points for somebody to actually come to the gym? I said, that could be six months to a year. This person, I've had people come in from years ago that are like, Hey, I've been following you for a couple of years and I opted into your thing and blah, blah, blah. And I want to join. So if you turn your stuff off for six months, when you turn it back on in six months, you should, you lost that whole six month pipeline. And now you got to, it's going to take another six months to get back to where you should have been. I said, right. technically you're going to lose a year of leads and traffic. And new students, and they're like, "Oh, I didn't think about that." Us just trying to save five hundred dollars a month. I'm like, "Yeah, you're gonna bite your nose off." It's like, don't do it, right? And, and that's the key thing. And you know, it's one thing to have a business that's been going on for several years. You might have stuff in your expenses that you've you've not watched real closely, so you might have sort of ballooned up in your expenses, and you can go back through the line items and you can cut stuff out. I um, had a client we were talking last week and, and she said, I've got this phone service that turns out I get Zoom service in my phone bill as part of my business package. But somewhere along the way, I, I subscribed to a separate Zoom contract <laughs> and that's what I've been using. And now when I figured it out, we really got into it. I can cancel that second zoom account save myself 40 bucks a month and you know and i've got the same thing i've got the same capability and um 
so she got real religious about going through all her line item expenses to cut out stuff like that. But that wasn't muscle in the, in the business. That was some fat that had gotten, you know, <laughs> bloated in there. And, uh, so yes, if you own a business going through a, a, a mental and financial exercise like that to cut expenses, that's great, but don't cut the key stuff. Don't cut, mm -mm. don't cut people. Don't cut, um, your advertising and your outreach and all of that. If, if, if there's any way possible and better still double down if you can. Oh yeah. hundred. It's going to be a great opportunity for people that want to put in the work and, and do all the extra things, like you said, to grab more market share than you've ever had before. Yeah. And we will eventually the, the, the irony in what is traditionally called a recession is we're not seeing the unemployment rate climb up and uh, you know, it's still hovering, I guess, depending on who you talk to three point something, 3.6 was the highest number I've heard. Um, that's nowhere close to recession numbers. I mean, yeah, it's so weird. That's for sure. We, we, we've got a long way to go in the employment game to get there. But again, the point is, if your company is reasonably healthy and all of that happens on the employment front, there's going to be a, a wave of talent that'll be available that you can pick up if you, uh, pay attention and, you know, watch what's going on out there in that market. Oh yeah. And the scary thing, if you know, if you're an employee and you've been slacking for the last few years, the companies are going to be looking for an opportunity to cut fat, like you said. So it's like, it's not a time to be slacking because companies are like, Hey, can we, we can, you know, trim 10% of our lowest performers and blame it on the recession, even though they don't have to, you know, that's That's going to be out there too. So it's like, even for employees, you gotta, you gotta step up, step things up now, because I remember going through 2001 as a stockbroker and, you know, it was like, the market's crashing everything. It's like, I better work twice as hard because I like my job, <laughs> yeah. you know, because I went through a bunch of layoff rounds and survived, but man, it was scary times. Yeah. Well, I think, I think the people that are paying attention, both owners and employees, they, they know what they've generally got to do to keep everything going in the right direction. Yep. Well, just in, in general terms, Paul, what, what else do you typically try to get into when you're talking to these owners about how to, how to accelerate their business. Man, my favorite one is once we get the systems in place and they start listening, like, hey, I'm doing this, I'm running ads, I'm getting leads, I'm signing people up, we're doing this, we're doing that. And then they're like, what do I do with my money? Then it's I talk to them like, hey, now's where you really got to look at like, you know, how do you start building a war chest, you know, some people refer to that or an emergency account, things like, you know, different opportunities. But the biggest problem I see a lot with a lot of my clients and people in the, you know, the smaller businesses are like, well, I put all my money back into the business. And I'm like, well, that's great. But, you know, you need to be doing something else. Like, well, no, my best return, you know, I can get a better return by putting all my money back in the business. And then, of course, when the pandemic happened, people are like, oh, my God, I don't know what to do. And I'm like, I've been telling you for three years to open up a checking account, savings account and fund it. And they're like, well, I never did because my business was the best return. I'm like, well, now you have no emergency money. So, you know, that's a big thing I talk to a client. It's like, you have to go through and create layers of automations that just take it off your plate. So, you know, like I joke around like Robinhood, love them or hate them. They changed the game for investing and all these things by their app came in as like, Hey, everything's free now. And then Fidelity and Schwab and Ameritrade were like, are you serious? Oh my God. Then everybody started using the app and they were like, Hey, guess what? Everything's free here now too. So I was like, this is pretty cool. So I'll go through and, you know, and help them like, look at the thing of like, Hey, you need to start, you know, talk to your accountant first, you know, get a tax plan in place and figure out what distributions you can take. 
and start learning to take money out of your business, putting it into a retirement account or an, if you don't have a 401k IRA, whatever your tax advisor says, your investment advisor says. But you have to start doing something now because you don't want to wake up one day and you're 65 years old and you're like, man, I really need to sell the gym so I can retire. And it's like, it's pretty hard to sell a gym because the gym is centered around the person. And not just you build it. Like we have clients that we've taught them how to build the gym to sell, but it's different when you're in your forties and you're just like, Hey, you know what? I think I'm going to ease myself out versus like when you're in your sixties and you're like, I can't teach anymore. I'm old. This sucks. You know, people can smell desperation. So I tell them like, man, you have to, once your business starts growing, you have to start learning how to get money out and build a retirement up. Yeah. Well, you know, that's, that's true from the owner's standpoint, but it's also true in, in the whole idea. And I, I do a lot of this kind of work too with my clients. Somebody says, Hey, I've got this great idea. I'm going to go start this company. And I go, well, yippee, that's wonderful. Good for you. What's your end game? You know, wh where are you going to take this thing? Or what? And they go, what are you talking about? And I said, well, one day you're not going to want to do this anymore, or you're not going to be able to do it anymore. And what's your exit plan? You know, are you building an asset for your kids? Well, that's nice, but are they even going to want to mess with it? You know, um, and so often these businesses that are built around one person's skill, ability, and talent, they end up not having any resale value. I've got a very good friend my age, actually he's a little older than me. He, he was a lifelong veterinarian, you know, had this huge veterinary practice, you know, dogs, cats, household pets, and all that. And he decided he was ready to retire and put it up for sale and he couldn't get any money for it because guess what? He was the business and yeah, you've got a, a set of files with a bunch of names on it, but a new buyer, a new doctor is not going to have any of the relationship with those people. And he doesn't know their pet names and can't <laughs> recognize them when they walk in, you know, all of that stuff that goes with that. And um, he ended up sadly just pretty much, shutting the doors and selling the equipment for salvage value. And that was it. It's sad. Yeah. Cause you have to have an exit plan. It's like, especially even in my world, it's like, cause the gym revolves around me. It's like, I can't, I know I can't walk away from the gym. It's like, you know, so what I do, I started a couple of years ago, like rebranding certain things. Like I took my name off of stuff. So now instead of being like, you know, Paul's gym, it's peak performance. So it's not me. It could be anybody. So eventually I could put a person in place and be like, Hey, you know, you're going to be buying the gym over the next, you know, 18 months and I'm going to transition out. But while I'm here, I'm going to introduce you to every single, they already know you because you've been here, but then, you know, I'm going to introduce you to every single person. You're going to have everything dialed in. So there's ways to do it, like you said, but if you don't have a plan and you're just going to try to wing it, yeah, you're going to be basically closing your doors and selling stuff for salvage, which yeah. you see a lot of, which is super sad. You know, it, it, it's, it really is sad. And, uh, back many, many years ago when I was still in banking, I was in the real estate sector and I, I can't tell you how many mortgage companies I dealt with that were, you know, privately held and they were created by a guy and maybe, maybe a guy and his wife and they were, they were, you know, killing it. And I mean, they were multimillionaires on their own, but when they wanted to exit, that was the business. I mean, they're the ones that had all the relationships with the realtors and the title companies and all the other people. And there's no, no asset to sell. Yeah. And you've had this great pipeline and you better have made a lot of money along the <laughs> way because you're not going to make it the day you try to, you know, quote, sell the business. It's not going to happen. No, it's tough. 
Yeah. So, um, well, Paul, this has been great and helpful, I think. Uh, tell everybody how they can get a hold of you if they're interested in learning a little more about what you you got going on. Yeah, for sure. You can reach me on my website, uh, P-A-U-L-H-A-L-M-E.com. Uh, social media, I like Instagram. It's way better than Facebook. It's like, it's just a happier place. So Instagram.com forward slash P-A-U-L period H-A-L-M-E. I'm always kind of posting stuff on there and kind of talking about different things. Uh, anything uh, about me is usually on there. Great. Well, we'll have all those links in the show notes, everybody, in case you didn't catch it on the fly there. And uh, this is a point I always like to remind people that besides the uh, audio broadcast you're hearing on your favorite streaming channel right now, we do have a YouTube uh, version of this episode over on a YouTube channel by the same name, Leadership Powered by Common Sense. Just look us up, hop over there, uh, subscribe, join in, leave a comment, give us an idea. I'm always looking for uh, new guests and business people that have a story to share. So let me know if you've got something like that. would love to hear from you. So Paul, one last time, thank you much, man. It's good talking to you. That was fun. Thanks, Doug. You bet. For now, I'm going to say goodbye. Have a great day and see you again soon. You've been listening to Leadership Powered by Common Sense, hosted by Doug Thorpe. If you would like to know more about the coaching and advisory services he provides, visit DougThorpe.com.